0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: The fantasy football season has come to an end, but this is the perfect time to take your sports viewing experience to the next level. Epson, just hook your boy up with this new Epic Vision Ultra LS800 laser projector, including their optional 120-inch silver flex screen. And I'm telling you right now, this is an absolute absolute game changer with an epic 120 inch picture. It's twice the size of an 85 inch TV. I should know I had one of those in my old setup and y'all know I love scouting prospects for the NFL draft. And with that 4k pro UHD picture this big, it can take the way that I evaluate prospect game film to a level never seen before to learn more, visit Epson.com forward slash wake up again. That's E P S O forward slash wake Up and like Epson says, bring the sports book experience home. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go.
0: Welcome back everyone. Another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious host Scott Connor at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. You can find everything related to Destination Devi over in the Patreon, which is patreon.com/allgas. You get access to the Discord, everything else that comes with whatever tier you choose, uh, a lot more interaction with the Destination Devi team, and then of course subscribe to the newsletter as well. Uh, you get weekly content from all of the content creators it is com backslash subscribe enter your email address Uh, you get the newsletter delivered to you once per week check out the dynasty and chill patreon as well at patreon.com slash dynasty and chill to get some bonus content from me and then finally check out my weekly youtube channel at Trades in 5 on YouTube. We do a Tuesday night live stream answering all of your questions uh, about trades, about strategy. So if you want some more specifics, check that out. Tuesday nights, 8.30. We live stream for hour and a half, two hours. Really just depends on how long we can go that evening. Uh, but check that out over on YouTube. So tonight's episode is going to be slightly abbreviated. I am on vacation this week, but I wanted to put something out. And really, uh, we're at the point now in the Dynasty offseason where people are kind of looking for stuff to do, right? We talked about last week how we're getting into some psychology, talked a little bit about timing. Um, I do want to give a shout out to Adiko, who did send me a message privately uh, and gave me some updated information on the replacement value that I talked about last week uh, for running backs. Uh, He sent me something that I hadn't really thought about when I was doing those calculations, uh, gave me a little bit of feedback on that. I appreciate that. Uh, And it does help me out. And it really looks at you know, the actual replacement value and how I calculated, essentially, all I was doing was taking the data in hindsight, looking back at historical data and saying, here's where like the breaking point would be, or here would be the median average uh, at the RB2 slots. And I was saying it was around 14, 14.3 points per game ish. I uh, believe talking about last week, I had it right around like 14.5. Uh, but in reality, you know, he showed me some stuff and corrected me on the numbers uh, that it's actually a little bit lower than that. If you go through uh, what he sent me, it's probably more around like 11.6, just under 11.6 points per game. Uh, and then the numbers in terms of how many players actually hit that number, obviously it's more than what I cited last week. Uh, if you just take 11.6 as the replacement value for running backs, uh, we're talking about 88 players hit that number in 2018, 82 in 2019, 91 in 2020. 93 in 2021, uh, and then down 84 in 2022. So what you saw was it actually went down uh, in 2022 relative to the couple years prior to that. So that's just a quick update from last week episode and the data that I had given. Uh, Shout out again to Adico for forwarding me that. Uh, It made my life a lot easier uh, with giving me that information. So not much of an adjustment in terms of how I would apply it, uh, but essentially my takeaway from that was, you know, it's, a little bit deeper than what I probably gave it credit for. At the same time, uh, and the point is taken well that you're still having to make sit start decisions uh, in those spots, and there are quite a few in those numbers that he provided that no one ever had in their lineup. Um, I know he uses sleeper data. That might be something that'll be cool to follow up on. But essentially, a lot of those hindsight numbers are just that. You know, they're being used after the fact, and so there's a lot of times where there are players that hit those numbers. Uh, that never actually made it into the lineup. So I think that's something to really kind of think about more when you're talking about building this way. There is some forecasting that goes into it. uh, But at the same time, you know, if the running back did not come into the week inside the top 30 or so, then they're not started at a very, very high rate. In fact, um, what he has said is the back was not top 30. They're started in less than 5% of the sleeper leagues uh, in most weeks. So something to think about. You're not going to necessarily be able to capture these Uh, at the rate that you think of. It doesn't necessarily mean you don't want to build your teams this way. uh, But it's easy to go back and and look and say, well, you know, this many players hit this number. So this is all you have to do to make sure you hit them next year. And that's not necessarily the case. It's a lot easier said than done. So something to think about, maybe something I'll dive in a lot more. Uh, But again, a shout out to Adiko for sending me that information and kind of bringing that to my attention because I think it was important to bring up on this show. Uh, For this, I want to just do another quick episode talking a little bit about draft pick psychology. Uh, We had a long discussion this week uh, in the Destination Devi Discord, really trying to get ahead of the game in terms of the psychology. You know, I started talking about that last week. Uh, I wanted to think of more ways where we can find edges in Dynasty by thinking of non-obvious ways to take advantage of your league mates because I think there is an element of what you were able to do three years ago, five years ago, that's gone. Especially if you're playing with players that are of the caliber of yourself, or somebody that's listening to this show, if you're in a league with 10, 11 other people that are listening to the same content, that are trying to apply some of the same principles, that understand the timing of player values and draft picks and understand the theory of roster building. And at least they have a plan. Even if it's not the same plan as you, they have a plan to try to build extrinsic value in some of the moves that they make. They're not just looking at things like player A versus player B. Player B didn't score as many points as player A, so I'll go there. You know, they understand positional leverage. They understand replacement value. They understand positional advantage and how to quantify it. They understand how to do that across multiple leagues with multiple settings with different scoring and different lineup construction and different requirements in terms of total roster spots and waiver rules and taxi and all of that kind of stuff. Like they know how to adapt on the fly. And they understand that a lot of the resources out there that talk about actual player value are built on something basic. They're built on a basic format that can easily be exploited if you start to get into some of these really, really nuanced leagues with different rules, settings, scoring, you name it, you have to be able to adjust. And it's impossible for a lot of even some of the customized calculators and customized sites that help you organize this stuff. It's impossible for those to really even adjust fast enough. You know, a lot of times when you go and you try to figure out, okay, how do I adjust when I have two PPR for tight ends and I have to start two and I have to also start three running backs and it's 0.2 per carry. And then you look at the quarterback scoring and it's six minus one with yardage bonuses. Like all of a sudden, there are so many variables that you now have to solve for that until you do that or until you're able to kind of account for all of those, the players that might be on an ADP list or a trade calculator or something like that, are completely useless. Sure, the order of them might matter. You might be able to look at the receiver order or the running back order or the quarterback order and say, okay, these are the baseline numbers of how I would value these players one after the other after the other. But in terms of valuing against each other, it's different. And that's one of the edges. You know, that's one of the things that you can still take advantage of if you're willing to play in these types of leagues, being able to adapt away from the players, away from the names, and understand which leagues do I really, really want to value X or I really, really want to value Y. You know, how can I exploit that when you start looking forward a year or two? How can I exploit that when you have three years worth of future picks that are being thrown around? And understanding that, sure, you may not win right away, Just because if you're doing a snake startup, for instance, you're probably going to get to a point where unless a couple people just absolutely screw things up out of the gate and you're not going to see that a lot when you're playing with 11 other sharp managers. Like Most likely, if I said, you know what, let me try to find the 11 sharpest listeners to this show and we're going to all jump into a league, I'm probably going to end up with a bunch of people that think like me, that are approaching the game like me. They may not do exactly everything that I'm doing, but they're not going into things haphazardly or reckless. They have a plan. They have a calculated plan on how they're going to value this and how they're going to value that. And they're also thinking about psychologically, how do I play the room? knowing that I'm playing with not novices, this is not my home league. This is not a league where I can count on three or four absolute idiots to make bad trades, to give away all their picks, to not understand the values of players, to chase individual players because they're players on their favorite team, or that's the player that they've been rooting for since college. Like you're not going to see those types of moves. You're not going to see a lot of what we call fish moves. So really, if you're thinking that way, and you kind of expect that that's already how your league is going to go. So we're talking like startup strategy here. You have to assume that even after the startup, even if you smash it, you build the team exactly how you want, good roster construction, you get enough access to some young players, some positional advantage, some future picks, you're able to trade up and get you know two elite quarterbacks, and then you're also able to maybe trade back, pick up an extra future first. Like you kind of hit all of these tick boxes, that you come into the league saying, this is what I want to accomplish in the startup. But for the most part, you're still not going to come out of that startup, probably with much of an advantage on the field, maybe a small advantage. But as long as there are not any players in that league that just absolutely blow up their team, the minute the startup ends, things are going to be a lot closer together. It's going to be a lot more concentrated. If you have kind of 11 other managers in the league that are all playing it pretty close to the vest. And it's all pretty tight. Like, that's probably where you're going to end up with the least advantage. But how do I take advantage of the fact that I'm willing to maybe play it out for a year or two years? What do I want to embrace in terms of taking big swings to where in a year, maybe I'm able to separate myself from the pack a little bit more? You might have been able to do that a couple years ago by you just smash a couple people in the startup. Like, they don't know what they're doing, they trade away their future picks, they don't know how to roster build, and boom, two years from now, I'm sitting with a treasure trove of assets, and there's two or three teams that are just orphaned, and they have nothing to play with. I think we're all probably in some leagues like that. I'm in some leagues like that that are four, five, six years old, and that already happened. And once you're there, now you have a massive advantage when you have teams that are taking over dispersals and they're taking maybe a decent roster, and it's getting thrown into a dispersal with a really, really bad roster. All of a sudden, you have three of the bottom six or seven rosters in the league. They're now in the dispersal draft, and now all three of those managers, assuming you're going to take those three openings and add three quality managers... That's essentially just creating like three average to below average teams. So now those assets are balanced back out. But now those three managers have to try to fight out with each other to try to gain an advantage. But boom, you're sitting over here on the sideline going, I already had a top three team because I took advantage of the teams that already orphaned. And now I have a big advantage over those new teams because they're trying to do something. They're trying to separate themselves from the other low-end teams or the other new teams that were in the dispersal. And they probably have to come to me or some of the other managers to get that done. So those opportunities exist. In those types of leagues where they're not really there in new leagues, it does feel like if you're starting a brand new league with sharp people, it's really hard to take advantage of that, assuming there's not a couple of them in your league that end up being reckless. So get to the point. You know, what is the point of this whole show from a psychology perspective? Where could there be an edge? And one of the topics that we ended up on, and this is what I'm going to talk about uh, for the remaining of the show, is the future draft picks. What are future draft picks worth? You know, what are future firsts worth, especially? I think once you get outside of future firsts, you're starting to get into uh, roster construction, meaning this year, for instance, it's a perfect time to have a bunch of seconds and thirds and fourths if your roster construction allows you to take a shot at a ton of running backs. So you can think of the leagues where that might be the most advantageous. So really deep rosters, 12 teams, start 12, 32 man rosters, something like that. If you've built the right way, you're looking at this class going, man, I can use those seconds, those thirds, those fourths. Those can literally fill out my entire bench, especially if I'm lacking the running backs that I want. So say in that format, 12 teams start 12, 32 man rosters. Say I want to get to 14 to 16 running backs on my team. I can use this as a really, really great opportunity to recycle the number that I already have. Maybe I already have 12, 13 running backs on my team, right? but I also have seven or eight picks from the second to the fourth round. I'm going to use that as a way to try to consolidate, to try to upgrade the situations that I have, to try to take more shots than I have roster spots, knowing that if I take those shots in May, by time we get to September and I have to cut my roster back down to whatever the limit is, I've almost cast such a wide net that I'm going to end up with a higher quality backfield portfolio than I would have if I just drafted the rookies, because I'm going to have some guys in there where it's like, okay, I'm not sure if this player is going to get a job, but I also don't want to cut them because I know historically they might've gotten chances a couple of years ago. So they are running back. They could be on an active roster, but if the limits say I have to cut those guys to make my rookie picks, well, then it's not as viable. So you can think about where if you're in one of those deep leagues where your rosters, maybe they expand four spots, six spots for the rookie draft, you're sitting pretty. You want to have a ton of picks in those leagues other formats where it's really really tight on roster space this isn't necessarily the year where you go hey give me seven second and third round picks like they're nice to have but if you think about it if you have 25 man rosters and that's your limit you probably don't want to make seven second round picks it doesn't matter how good the class is because you're actually just pissing away value every time you make one of those picks assuming that your roster had you know decent value on the bench to begin with because it's like okay to make this running back pick, to make the next running back pick, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one. That's great. You're going to get five second round running backs. That's awesome. Until I have to cut a couple guys that basically were the same spot last year or the year before. So think about the idea of cutting a player like Tyrion Davis-Price or Jordan Mason you know, both of those guys could end up being like a guy that gets touches on a really good offense in the San Francisco backfield next year. You wouldn't want to cut either one of those guys in the offseason. But if you have to cut those guys to make your fourth round picks, what's the point? If you have to cut both of those guys to make one of your third round picks, what's the point? So you kind of look at it like that and say, is it the right format to have these types of picks? It's the same thing when you're looking at shallower leagues, a 12 team start nine with 23 man rosters okay, well, those are the leagues where I'm sitting here going, what's the best use of my second round picks? It's probably not just to draft a bunch of bodies. You know, it's the opposite of the example I was just giving you. Like you probably don't want to ever use those picks on players. Every once in a while, you might hit on one, but let's say you have five second round picks in a league where it's 12 teams start nine. Great. You can make all five of those, but really what do you need to get to gain value out of those second round picks? You need one of those picks to actually hit. You need one of those picks to turn into Damian Pierce, Kareem Hunt, something like that. You need that type of hit before that player really is seen as somebody that is going to crack a lineup, but more importantly, for somebody that actually can crack your lineup. So you actually need something more to happen on top of just having those picks actually be running backs that you like. So I think that's the biggest thing. And it's not that this is that hard of a concept to focus on, but I do think there's this type of calculation that you have to be weighing every time you go into a new league. And how can you take advantage of that when it's not obvious? Because here's the thing. If I go into a 12-team start 12 or a 12-team start 9, and the start 12 has 32-man rosters and the start 9 has 23-man rosters. So just picture those two examples. Those are the complete opposite of one versus the other. Most of the managers, if they're smart, they've already kind of done this calculation in their mind. You know, the team that's playing in the 12-team, start-9, 23-man rosters, the manager is probably sitting there going, okay, I kind of have a feeling of what the waiver wire is going to look like in this league. And what's most likely going to be more abundant on the waiver wire in those leagues than if it was 32-man rosters? Probably a lot of running backs. Now, there's going to be some backup quarterbacks that aren't rostered. There's going to be some roster-clogger receivers that aren't rostered. But there's probably going to be a lot of running backs where you go, man, that guy's not available in most of my leagues that have 32, 34-man rosters. But in 23-man rosters, 25-man rosters, all of a sudden, people can't hoard every single running back on a 53-man roster. It's impossible. It's impossible. So during the offseason, there's going to be a lot more volatility. There's going to be names that slip through the cracks. There's going to be names that are being held on teams in lieu of others that are on waivers. And then in August, you're going to go, wow, I'm going to drop this running back and I'm going to pick that running back up because that running back might be the backup and the guy that I'm holding isn't even on a team. So in those types of leagues, it's impossible to really hoard. So there's really diminishing returns once you get to a certain level you know, in the second round, in the third round, those picks are actually more valuable to use to try to upgrade on assets. And I think inherently people know this. They know in a start nine, hey, if I can do a three for one trade where I give you three pieces and you give me a stud, then it's obvious. But how can you take advantage of this when it comes to draft picks? And a lot of times it's hard to do when you're talking about picks that are currently on the clock. It's hard to do when you're just looking at specific players. So what I did is I I used keep trade cut. And I looked at the value gaps uh, from last year's class, which I know was a bad class in hindsight. Uh, And then the value of the 2023 picks, which are currently in there as the 101, 102, 103, 104, 105, 106, etc. And then I looked at the 24 picks, which are currently listed as an early first, a mid first, and a late first. And just trying to figure out how to maybe take advantage of Pick values when there's already a bunch of trade calculators out there that are kind of telling you, you know, if you're trading away the 111 and the 109, like realistically, what are you able to get in the form of 2024 picks and vice versa? You know, what are you able to get if you're trying to consolidate a two for one or you're trying to trade back and get three picks? So just kind of give that example, uh, use the website if you want. It's an interesting tool because I think the one thing that it doesn't necessarily account for perfectly uh, is some of the formatting that we're talking about, right? Like there are some leagues, I'm in a league that is a 12 team, start 15, and you have to start three running backs, you have to start four receivers, two tight ends. It's one of those leagues where obviously depth is king. There isn't a trade calculator that would be able to account for what that elite economy actually says picks are worth or players are worth. In that league, it's 40-man rosters, but it's 15 starters. There are very few trades where somebody is willing to trade up three pieces to get one. It has to be such a smash trade that if you were to put that into a trade calculator, you'd go, there is no way that I would ever give up this one piece for these three pieces because A, it wouldn't match up in the trade calculator, but B, you're trying to think of a format where you would even want to do that. And if it's a typical start nine or start 10, you're going to go, there's absolutely no way. So you get into some of these extreme formats and vice versa. Uh, We just did a roster review on Trades in 5. We did an 8-team start 8. And you're trying to figure out what to do with meddling players, meddling draft picks in a format like that. And really, unless there are people that just don't understand the format, and this was a league that had been going on for 5 plus years, if there are people that just don't understand the format, then sure, you can send 3 seconds and a player and another player and you can get one stud. Or you can send four future picks to get one really, really elite piece. Or you can send, you know, two late first to get the 102. Like you might be able to pull those deals off if people just want to have fun and they don't really understand the math behind that trade. But if you then think about it's an eight team start eight, the only thing that matters is maybe the top hundred players in the entire league, maybe even less. And this was a super flex too. So you almost wonder, how do I value the elite quarterbacks? Like, how do I want to roster construct? So in there, unless you can find somebody that just absolutely doesn't understand the format, the trades are all out of whack. You put it in a trade calculator and it's not going to make sense. So really, the trade calculators are designed to really give you something right down the middle. They're trying to appeal to as many people as possible that are not playing in some of these nuanced formats. Uh, It's based on essentially just like PPR scoring. If you're starting to get into extreme tight end scoring, extreme quarterback scoring, extreme running back scoring, it's not going to account for that either. So you have to kind of think about this stuff and just play around with these values. So for instance, I plug that in to keep trade cut. The 109 and the 111 for a 2024 mid first, which is going to be 105 to 108. And a 2024 late first, which is gonna be 109 through 112. Now, in theory, I am giving away more value, according to Keep Trade Cut, by giving away the 109 and the 111 than I'm getting for the mid first and for that late first. Now, part of what's not reflected in that, it's a two for two. So there isn't any roster space that gets freed up here. Uh, There's not a team that now has to maybe cut a player or essentially you can add a player off waivers. Uh, That's another thing that a lot of people don't account for. If you're in 25 man rosters, anytime you make a two for one and you get back the one, you actually get the replacement value that you can pick up off waivers because you freed up a roster spot. Anytime you can turn two players into a draft pick and a free roster spot, boom, now you can pick up two players plus the draft pick. So thinking about it that way there's actually added value that the calculators do take into account sometimes but not entirely. You you don't know how many roster spaces there are in a given league. So it's really just trying to aggregate like what the typical would be or what the average would be. So if you just look at your format and you go wow, you know it's only 23 man rosters. Every time I free up a roster spot I can pick something up. And what I can pick up in a league with 23-man rosters is a lot more valuable than what I can pick up in a league with 32-man rosters. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Eric and I did the mock draft for the Royal Rumble, the Heisman Tier Royal Rumble over on Destination Devi. Uh, it's 14 teams. It's two copies, but it's 14 teams, 25-man rosters. It's It gets expanded to 29 in the season, but it's best ball. So during the season, it's 14 by 25 with 11 starters, and it's best ball. So really, if you think about that calculation, and you factor in that it's not 12 teams, it's 14 teams, it's really more like 14 teams, 25 is like 12 men, 28, 29, if you do the math. But still, there is some value, especially in best ball, when you then factor in that every time I can do a two for one, anytime I can kick a player to the future in the form of a draft pick, and pick up another player off waivers, that is essentially getting like free value. You're literally picking up a free player off of waivers. And in a best ball league, the difference between the top player on waivers and the player that you traded away that might have been you know, the 21st player on your roster, it's so minimal that literally getting anything for that player is worth being able to stash that pick value. Let's say you trade away a random receiver for a third but then you go pick up another random receiver off of waivers, the difference when you're talking best ball scoring in that format, the difference literally might be zero. In fact, it's just a coin flip that maybe you get one spike week from the guy you picked up versus one spike week from the guy that you traded away and you're getting a free pick. Now you might sit there and you go, well, okay, the third rounder that I just traded for, what is the hit rate on a third rounder? And I think that's where a lot of these trade calculators are kind of trying to estimate the value of those picks is historically looking at the players that are in that range. If anyone has a trade calculator or knows kind of behind the scenes how they're formulated, I'd be curious to kind of get some feedback on that. But they're trying to just figure out, okay, the kind of player you can draft, but what it's not able to measure is what you can do with that pick. So I think that's where the psychology comes in with these picks, because right now you hear the 101, the 105, the 109, the 111, and you're already able to assign players to them. Now, you go back and you look at the values of the 2022 class compared to the values of the 2023 class, and you can see we're clearly just the 2022 class, pick for pick, aside from Bijan Robinson, and then the side for Brees Hall, who's technically the second highest valued player in 2022. Ken Walker, number three, Chris Alave, number four. After that, after those four players, the value at every single slot is higher in 2023. So, starting at the 2023 105, that is more valuable than Drake London and all the way down, all the way down to the 112. And I'm guessing it probably continues even further just because of the height of the 2023 class. The picks are more valuable than ever. And really, after that, 112, 201 ish uh, in 2022, it really, really drops off in terms of the caliber of player that you would get. So you can kind of see where that breaking point is. Now, it'd be interesting to go back and look at this for 2021 and 2020, 2019. But just kind of thinking about it from that perspective is if you have a bad class, it's going to be really, really hard to essentially hit on players that are way more valuable than the future picks a year down the road. Now, if you have a really, really great class, it obviously can be the opposite. But if you're able to kind of forecast what the class is going to look like a year from now, you can look at this year's picks and say, okay, where is that breaking point? Where is the breaking point where, man, if I can end up turning one of my late firsts and something else into a really, really high first, right? Because you look at the last class and you look at the top four players, if you hit on any of those four, so Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, Chris Alave, Those guys definitely return to profit for you. Not only were they productive, but they returned to profit. And that's just from the trade calculator. That's not talking about, okay, what else can I do if I have Chris Olave? What else can I do if I have Garrett Wilson? If I have one of those guys on my roster, those are the types of players that everybody wants to trade for. You know, I have a legit shot to go and actually make my roster even better if I'm willing to move one of those guys. So that's the other thing to think about is what is the advantage that you can get if you're able to move you know some of these middling picks, and I don't want to say they're bad players or they're bad picks, but how much can you gain if you are able to hit on a really, really high pick next year? And it's probably easier said than done because what we were talking about in the Discord was usually the team that knows they're going to pick at the 101, maybe the 102, like they already are angling their team towards that pick next year. You know, they're eyeing Caleb Williams. They're eyeing Marvin Harrison Jr. They're eyeing Drake May. They're saying, you know what? I'm targeting one of these picks. But sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes one of those teams ends up being a little bit better than the other. Sometimes one of those teams comes from the middle of the pack, where they had a couple injuries. They didn't have great roster construction. They didn't have a lot of depth. Boom. They traded away their first. That ended up being the 102 and you're wondering, what the heck happened? This is especially the case if you have some sort of lottery system, or picks are determined by potential points, or picks are determined by some sort of consolation. Like There's a lot of factors that go into it, but I think there's an advantage, and this is where I think dynasty managers are getting smarter, is there's an advantage in being able to forecast these picks. No longer can you do the, I'm going to trade away my 112 and get a 2024 first plus another pick. You might be able to do that on the clock, you might be able to do that in a specific league, a one-off league, where somebody just has to have an individual player. But I can't think of any other circumstances where people are just going to say, you know what, it is an advantage to me on paper to give away my 24 first for the 112, maybe I throw in a third or something like that. But really, I can't see the reason why you would give that away because a smart dynasty manager is going to say, okay, I have a playoff team, I'm penciling my 2024 pick in as a late 2024 first. Uh, By the way, Keep Trade Cut has that at 4,328 points, uh, equivalent to somewhere between the 111 and the 112 this year. But again, that is just a late first. That is the case for essentially like the 109, the 110, the 111, the 112. So you're already admitting that there is a level of volatility with where that pick is going to finish. And I think a smart manager, again, a smart manager, assuming you are in leagues with pretty smart people. And this is what I started talking about last week. The average dynasty manager is smarter. So the margins on when you can make these deals, they're a lot slimmer. You still have to be a little more strategic when, when you make these trades. You don't want to just try to send you know, your 112 for a 24 first because it's most likely not going to work because that person is looking at it saying, well, there's a little risk on where my 24 pick could be. Uh, it could be the 109. If that's the case, why would I want to make that deal? The other thing is, this probably isn't the best time to do the trade. You know, I'm trading my 24 first away in February. You know, I'm trading my 24 first away in a startup draft so that I can trade up and get a very specific player. And really, unless it's an elite quarterback or a couple skill players, there really isn't anybody worth doing that simply because you're gaining potential risk And you're missing out on the chance to trade that later when you have more information. And when you can actually get higher equity for that pick, you're taking a lot of risk by trading it away early. So I think that's the biggest takeaway here is understanding these nuances in your league and realigning where those bets can be made and what your expectations are. Because I think a lot of people are out there thinking, oh, this is the 23 class. Every pick is good these picks are super valuable. Just wait until we get to the combine. Just wait until we get to rookie draft season. Just wait till we get a couple weeks before the NFL draft. And essentially everything is going to be forecasted at that point. Everything is rose colored glasses for every prospect. And we can say, okay, there's going to be this many receivers that go in the top 50, this many running backs that go in the first two rounds. We're going to have four quarterbacks that go in the top 10. Like everything is going to be at its height but just still understand where those picks are going to slot in at that time. And if you miss the window, you may miss the window because there's more information available to the teams that are trading away their future picks. So I think the whole idea is to go to your league and kind of have realistic expectations on what you're going to be able to get. But more importantly, if you're able to swing one of these deals where you trade away the 109 and the 111 and you get back two quote unquote future firsts and one is a mid first and one is a late first. Obviously, the trade calculator is assuming that those picks are already fine, but that could also be the 105 and the 109 next year. And how do we know what the class is going to look like? Even if it's a bad class, and that's why I brought up the 2022 class, even if it is a bad class, you are still ending up with players that end up falling in this range. So this year, Drake, London, 105, still 52.84. That's the equivalent of like the 2023, 105, 106. You go down to the 109, Traylon Burks, 45.37, essentially equivalent to like the 110, 111 this year. So even in a bad class, the potential loss of a trade like that really isn't that high, but the potential gain is massive. I mean, if you end up trading away, what is a mid first this year and you hit on one of those picks next year that ends up in the top two or the top three, you could end up with an asset like Brees Hall. You can end up with an asset like Chris Alave or Garrett Wilson to where you are clearly, clearly smashing that deal, especially if you can make that happen in like a start nine where you ended up moving, you know, that 107 and that 112 and you got back to future first. One of them ends up being early one of them ends up being late, you still benefited by the fact that all you lost was a year's worth of whatever production those players gave you and the potential of moving those picks closer to the NFL draft, closer to your rookie draft, where maybe the tiers were a little more defined. And that can go both ways. Like You can sit there and go, here are my tiers. We do this all the time on Trades in Five. I have the 107. What should I be looking at? And I can shake my head and Shane can shake his head and we can say, you know what, that's within the tier that we're comfortable valuing it here. But then you get to the draft and the tiers are different. So sometimes you fall outside of the tier and your pick has lost a ton of value by time it gets on the clock. Sometimes you fall within the tier and you go, wow, I didn't realize the tier break was going to be 107. Now my 107 is actually more valuable because it's the last pick of the tier break. And you're not going to know that. So there is some forecasting that has to be done. Uh, But I think this is an advantage. This is something that in Dynasty a lot of people don't really try to do because if you've played for five plus years, you remember the days where you could send the 203 and get a future first. You remember the days where you could easily send a 2023 first, no matter where it was, 112, and get a future first. And I used to be this way. If you remember any of my content back from the old DCC days, 2018, 2019, it was the time value of the pick. The time value of that pick, man, if I have to give up my 112 this year, I have to wait a year for that 24 first to actually become a player. So the fact that I have to wait a year, that's a big deal. I'm losing value. So I need more on top of the 24 first to move that 112. 109, 110, there's no way. There's no way I'm taking a random first. Now, understanding the principles of I'm not getting any leverage, I'm still making a one-for-one one trade. I would prefer to do you know, the 110 for a future first, especially if I think it's a smart bet with the team that I'm acquiring their 24 first. I'd like to add a third back. I'd like to add a placeholder running back back, something like that. But if I can't do that, still the one-for-one, one, if you think about it, It's actually a good bet to make if you just see where these trade values end up being. If you look at the last year's class and where the current picks are being valued and even what the 24 picks are being valued, the minimal amount of risk that you're taking, even if you end up just essentially being back where you were a year from now is worth it uh, compared to what the benefit could be if you end up hitting on one of the high picks because we see how valuable the difference-making players are, even if they're not actual difference makers. Look how valuable Chris Olave is. Look how valuable Garrett Wilson is. And they're simply being valued because that's what the market says a young receiver that produced X should be worth after their first year. So just hitting on that type of asset is worth it. Hitting on an asset such as Justin Fields after a year or Trevor Lawrence after a year. And I know those guys didn't hit right away, but even after two years, if you just have a quarterback that's even threatening to jump inside the top 12 or top 10, you see what that is worth on the open market and it's becoming more and more scarce. So you kind of get an idea of why it's still pragmatic to do these types of deals And I think a lot of people are hesitant to do it because they go, you know what, I've waited for these 2023 picks. It's a decent class. I can still draft a player. I want to try to contend. But when you really think about what are you drafting at like the 109, the 110, the 111, most likely you're just drafting a placeholder that fits your roster construction. So you have to examine if that's something that you really want to add. You know, we get a lot of questions and it's like, I have a stacked receiver core and I have the 109 and the 110. What should I be looking to do with it? And really, you can think about you're going to be in a spot where you can just take a running back because that's what you need. You can shop one of your receivers because maybe you'll be able to get a better running back for a veteran receiver or a receiver that's already proven in the NFL. But you kind of already know that you're going to have access to either one of those options at the 109 or the 110. It just depends on what you feel more comfortable with. So you do have some flexibility, but then you sit there and go, okay, I have a pretty good team and I have this 109 and the 110. Is there a team that I can go and look, especially if this is a start nine or a start 10 league? Is there a team where I'm just not sure how good that manager is? I'm going to go see if I can get maybe their 24 first, because I already have a decent roster. I already have pretty good roster construction. When I sit there and go, I'm flexible at my pick, and I'm not necessarily locked into having to take a running back or receiver, and I don't have a pressing need at quarterback, I can kind of just go best player available. What does that mean? And I think a lot of times the best player available is, what can I get with this pick that allows me to try to color up and get an even better asset? And most of the time, if you go to a team that's kind of in the middle and you identify them as, you know what, this is a roster that is a middling roster and they have some needs, but they're not bad enough to where they're clearly just tanking for next season. What do you think they might be willing to give me for my 108 or my 109 Will they give me their 24 first? Will they give me a 24 first and a throw in running back? Because maybe I'm looking and I need a running back. And I was thinking about 108 or 109. I'm going to take at least one running back there. Are they willing to give me a running back as a throw in? Now, what I'm getting is I'm fulfilling my roster construction by adding a running back in the trade. But I'm also taking that extra shot where now the onus is on them to hit on that 2023 first. And if things go wrong, maybe I identify their roster. And I think this is the biggest takeaway from this whole thing is these have to be strategic bets. These are not just necessarily go and spam. Because probably you're going to go to the worst team or the second worst team and go, hey, can I get your 24 first? And you're going to get, there's no way. I'm tanking. I'm not going to win next year. This is going to be a top three first. Why would I trade it away? Fair. Then you have other teams where it's like, yeah, you have a 14-0 roster. Their team is stacked. They've traded away their next year's first, the last two off seasons, because they know. They know they're going to have a team that really they're coasting into the playoffs. So that's kind of where you get into this push and pull of this needs to be a strategic targeted bet. But if you can identify that, and I talked about it, I think three episodes ago where I was going through each tiers of the picks, you know, the 101 and then 102 through 106 and then 107 through 112. Uh, We're doing a series on trades in five where we're talking about kind of the value of each one of these draft picks but those are the picks where you want to try to find the middle ones, right? So you're talking about 106, 107, 108, 109. Obviously you can go a little bit later, but the appeal is probably more in the middle to late first, but where can I find the targeted bet? Where can I find the team in my league where I go, you know what? I'm willing to bet against that roster. I'm going to bet against variants going against that team. And I'm going to hope that, you know what? Maybe they're not that active. Maybe they really don't understand roster construction. Maybe they're not a good trader. Maybe they're all of those things together to where, man, if I can take that future first and it turns into the 104, I just moved the 109 for next year's 104 and a filler running back. It fixed the roster construction that I was going to be targeting with that 109 to begin with. And now I'm looking at a massive profit or a more flexible asset because now I'm sitting on the 2024 top four selection that I might be able to then add to move to get something even better. And I think that's where a lot of people don't make this trade anymore, because it's not as easy to do as it was three, five years ago. Back then, you literally could just take advantage of people that would give away future picks, because you know what, it's not today. I have to wait a year to make that pick. Again, I was one of those people that was all about the time value of the pick. If I have to wait a year, that shrinks the value of it 20%. So I need to be paid a tax if I'm giving away the pick in this year's class versus next year's. But that's not the case. People really aren't doing that anymore. I think a lot more people understand the value of future picks. They also understand the value of, hey, you know what? Why would I trade it away in February when I can hold my 24 first into the season? And I get twofold benefit by that. One, I get to use it when there's information in front of me in terms of what I'm buying. Something might cost $50 today but I'm not sure what it's going to be worth in six months or how much I'm going to need it in six months. Why would I spend the 50? But if I'm a day before needing it and it costs $52, I'm much more apt to say, you know what, I'm going to spend the 52. Now I'm paying $2 more than what I would have paid six months ago, but now I know that I need it tomorrow instead of I'm not going to need it for maybe six months. So you're willing to pay the extra price. And then the second thing is you also have that protection of, you know what, maybe I don't want to trade the pick. Maybe I have something that happened to me where I don't want to move that pick. You know, I can use it at a time where it's going to either buy me something that's going to help me more, or I'm not giving it away at a time where I'm not really sure what I'm giving away. So I think it's twofold as to the timing of draft picks. People are a lot smarter today with the timing of their draft picks. So the main takeaway from today's show, and I know I kind of just rambled and rambled and rambled and apologize for that, but I think the main takeaway is just trying to find the math in your league, solving for the variables in terms of what are roster spots worth, what are trade ups and trade downs worth, but more importantly, how can I find myself getting ways to color up in asset quality? How can I turn these picks into future picks that might be worth even more? And where does it make sense? You know, go through the math on your leagues. How many teams? How many starters? What's the format? What's the scoring? There's a lot of information out there that'll kind of tell you what the strengths and weaknesses of classes are. You know, if you're looking at like the Royal Rumble League, it's a 14-team super flex with thin rosters in best ball. Starting quarterbacks are really hard to find. They're even harder to find because it's only 25-man rosters and it's best ball. So guess what happens during the season in a league like that? You can't roster nine quarterbacks because you don't have any good ones. You can't get away with just rostering volume. You can't hold seven backup quarterbacks, hoping that you can hit on one or two that get spot starts. In a lineup league with 32-man rosters, that dynamic is totally different. So how do you gain access to maybe getting a quarterback next year without knowing you're going to get a quarterback next year? But since you don't have one and it's going to be impossible to trade for one once it already exists, is there a place you can maybe find a better shot at getting one without actually paying that? Because gone are the days, I think, where you can say, hey, I'm just going to give you four assets and you give me one. Like That's not going to work in a lot of leagues. And then there's other leagues, like the one I mentioned, where that's never going to work because people value that more. So I think that's where the managers are getting smarter. Your average dynasty player is smarter. If you're in a league where you don't think they're that smart, you can try a lot of those same old trade principles and see if you can get them to work. But if you're playing in leagues with us People in the Dynasty and Chill Patreon, people in the Destination Devi Discord, many, many other content creators, and just sharp people that are following individuals on Twitter, listening to podcasts, watching YouTube shows. Like they're not going to be the fish in the pond. They're going to have a strategy, and how do you beat them? So I think it's just taking it back to the basics, understanding the math of your league, understanding the value of roster spots, understanding the format understanding where maybe I can't just go and say, oh, shallow league, let me go do a three for one. Vice versa, in a deep league, maybe you have a stud player, maybe you have CD Lamb, but it's a start 12, and you're going, how do I get two top 15 receivers for CD Lamb? On paper, in a trade calculator, it might say, hey, I can make this deal, but then you realize it's a start 12, and you can start up to eight receivers, or seven receivers, or whatever it might be, and people don't want to do that. There's no way they want to give you two top 24 receivers for a top 12 receiver in a start 12. In a start nine, they'd smash the deal. So finding that middle ground, looking at your league, go through all of your leagues over the next month, because there's not a whole lot else to do, and just kind of recalibrate on the math. Recalibrate on the math in terms of player values, pick values, and where can you maybe take advantage of some non obvious trade offers that you can send out to other people that they might not see it coming. The ones where you go, okay, if they're not sharp, if they're not doing these same calculations, they're not going to pick up on it. So try that. That's going to be one of my missions uh, for the next month on my own teams is go through them, figure out maybe where I can make some of these moves without it being so obvious. Uh, It's going to be tough because there's a lot of people that I know listen to this that are also in leagues with me. But at the same time, if they're doing the same thing, they may look at trades and they see it a little bit differently. Ultimately, people are individual. They like playing the way that they're going to play. Uh, If they're smart, they're going to also look at playing against me and say, you know what? Maybe I can get an advantage on Scott by zigging where he's zagging or vice versa. So try it. Report back to me. Uh, We're going to be planning on doing a live stream probably in a couple weeks Uh, After the Super Bowl, uh, we'll get back to doing some live streaming. Uh, I plan on having some guests taking some questions, but I want to see these kinds of questions. Uh, Bring them to Trades in 5. We stream Tuesday night, 8.30 p.m. on YouTube, uh, at Trades in 5 on YouTube. These type of questions are what I want to see. Like actually thinking about why to propose a trade. It's not just player A for player B or player B for player C in this draft pick. Like Those get repetitive. They don't really make us better Dynasty players. But the leagues where it's like, okay, there's context as to why I might do this. Here's what I'm thinking. Even if you're wrong, even if I sit there and go, I wouldn't do that. It's the type of thinking that makes us better dynasty players. So go through your leagues, kind of recalibrate on what the math looks like, figure out what draft picks are worth, what future draft picks are worth. How can you take advantage of people that might be still using trade calculators? They might still be assuming values are based on just a PPR format uh, with nothing else considered. See if you can take advantage of that. See if you can make some moves uh, that are non-obvious. With that, I will go ahead and sign off for the week. Uh, We'll be back next weekend. Uh, Happy Valentine's Day to anybody that does celebrate that. I'll be going out of town with my wife next weekend. Uh, So the episode may drop a day late. I still haven't decided what I'm going to do uh, for that. Uh, But then the week after that, probably plan on coming back to the live stream, going live on YouTube uh, on the Sunday after the Super Bowl. Uh, Should be able to do... Uh, probably an hour or so, uh, taking some follow-up questions to some of the off-season content. Uh, And then I'll try to get out a list of when we're going to do live streaming with some guests uh, over the next couple months. I have to go through and make a schedule on that, uh, just so I can kind of get out to everybody the word on who's going to be coming on. So we get some targeted questions. If that person uh, has any specific content or nuances that they're specializing on, uh, we can gear the questions toward that. But hopefully everybody can get here uh, in a couple weeks, with some follow-up questions, uh, strategy questions, challenge me. I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Adiko challenged me on how I calculated the replacement value on running backs. You know, that's what I want. I'm not the sharpest person in the room, uh, but I have a brain that's just constantly buzzing in terms of dynasty strategies. So check that out uh, in a couple weeks on YouTube when we go live. Uh, as always, everything at Destination Devi. Check out all the content, all the podcasts that come out daily. The newsletter, allgas.beehive.com slash subscribe. Uh, the Patreon again at patreon.com slash all gas. And then the Dynasty and Chill Patreon at patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. Until next week, I will go ahead and sign off. bicho like Only ones I keep around me is my family
1: in a the-